This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Tonight's special guest is an international Mayan elder, Cherokee record keeper, and acclaimed international best-selling author. Barbara Han Clow. We will explore the Mayan code as time and consciousness accelerate. Barbara Han Clow will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full show, become a member. Just go to our website, veritasshow.com, click on the subscribe button, and receive instant access. Don't wait any longer. For only $7.95 per month, you can listen to all of our material hundreds of hours in CD audio quality and take Veritas with you wherever you go. Subscribe today and visit the Veritas store where you can purchase our 8 gigabyte USB drives with seasons 1 or 2 with bonus material or even MMS. What is MMS? 
go to the Veritas store and find out. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And you won't believe how inexpensive it is. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website and also join me on Facebook. And now, get ready to discuss how the Mayan calendar is a bridge to galactic wisdom that fosters personal growth and human evolution. What is the real meaning behind the calendar, its message for modern civilization, and what will happen when the calendar ends? Is time acceleration really happening, and is it a manifestation of the acceleration of consciousness? For the answers to these and many more questions, Barbara Hand Cloud is coming up next. This is Mel Fambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. John Major Jenkins, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Barbara Hanclow is an international Mayan elder, Cherokee record keeper, acclaimed international best-selling author, lecturer, and ceremonial teacher. She majored in philosophy at Seattle University, then behavioral psychology at the University of Washington in Seattle, and then began extensive reading and study of Reichen, Freudian and Jungian psychology. In 1969, she discovered that astrology was an exceedingly accurate diagnostic tool, and she began her study and practice of astrology. In 1983, she earned a master's degree in theology and healing with Matthew Fox in Chicago. And her thesis compared Jungian psychoanalytic technique and past life regression therapy. To learn more about Barbara Hanclau and her work, visit her website at handclow2012.com. And I would like to welcome, for the first time on Veritas, Barbara Handclow. Hello and welcome. How are you? Hello, Mel. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. It's my pleasure to have you on. May I call you Barbara, by the way? Yes, you certainly can. Thank you. Yes. Barbara, this is such a timely interview, as I was telling you offline. And although you have written plenty of books, we chose the Mayan Code because... As we approach 2012, I think it's important to speak with facts. There is a lot of disinformation and misinformation circulating. Before we start, and since this is your first time on Veritas, for those who may not be familiar with your work, give us some background of yourself. Well, you already read a pretty good bio on me, and then uh, once I graduated from Matthew Fox's program, then I went to work for Barron Company in Santa Fe, where I first where I was a uh, co-acquisitions editor with Matthew Fox, and then once he uh, saw that I was doing well, I took off on my own. And so I worked as, as a publisher for um, 18 years after graduate school, and during that time I was writing um, a book about every two years and also out on the road teaching. 
so I've had a pretty um, active life. Um, at this point, things have calmed down a little bit because I'm not a publisher anymore, and the kids are out of the house. So the last <laughs> five to six years, I've really been able to concentrate finally on my own writing, which, which has been, a, for example, the Mayan Code, which has been a wonderful experience for me because basically for years and years I had to get up at 3 in the morning and write till 6 o'clock and then go to work. Is that right? Is that how yeah. you did it? Yeah, I did it, you know. I wasn't a good person to encounter. You know, people would, as an acquisitions editor, people would show up and tell me they needed $50,000 as an advance in order to write a book. And I would say, well, if you want to write a book, write a book. That's right, especially when you uh, were doing this from 3 to 6 in the morning. What yeah. motivated you to write The Mayan Code? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I had been a Mayan calendar researcher for about 25 years as of, as of 2000. And that, that means that there's a group of us um, who have been researching the Mayan calendar, not only from the point of view of figuring out the numerical um, qualities of it, but also a- attempting to figure out what this thing means, because, because there are two end dates for the Mayan calendar. One of them is October 28, 2011, which is the one that I'm working with. And then the other one is December 21, 2012. And there's not too much of a difference between between the um, end date, obviously, in terms of, of, of uh, us approaching it. And so a lot of us became, like Jose Arguez, John Major Jenkins, um, a lot of us became very obsessed with what the meaning of this calendar might be since its ending. And I went through the theories of many, many researchers, including I had some of my own thoughts um, coming from a, a channel book I wrote in 1995. But I really didn't feel that I had the answer to what the Mayan calendar meant until I ran into the research of the Swedish um, biologist, Dr. Carl Johan Kalaman. Mm-hmm. And so I ran into his research in 2004 and 2005, and for the first time, I felt like we, we have some answers. And so then I wrote a book on based on Kalaman's research called The Mind Code, Time Acceleration and Awakening in the World Mind, which is the book that um, you have received and have read. Right. So basically for me, you know, even though I've had a lot of my own um, work and a lot of my own research, this, this was a case where I adapted the research of someone else because I think it's so important. Absolutely. And the Mayan calendar ends on December 21st, 2012. However, that's it. How do you think the entire end of the world, cottage industry. How did it start? And how has so much significance been given to to that single fact? Well, I think that we're living on a planet, and especially as far as American culture is concerned, I think we're living in a a culture which is very influenced by Judeo-Christianity and very much influenced by messianic um, ideas and ideas of the end of the world. Um, Yes. A culture obsessed by the idea that uh, that God is going to return again and is going to save the chosen ones while everybody else just basically gets dumped in the trash. And um, I've always been very, very offended by this idea, and I actually feel that one of the big re- main reasons that the planet is under such ecological stress at this time is that people do not um, think of the future. They simply think of the end times all the time, and then they just don't do anything. And so um, I, it, I really got excited by uh, Kalaman's idea because Kalaman is dealing with the idea that we're at the, we're, we're coming to the pinnacle of evolution, kind of the apotheosis of the development of the human species. And 
this was a really exciting idea for me because when I was in graduate school, um, one of the people um, who was part of the faculty was Thomas Berry. And Thomas Berry um, has kind of taken off from Teilhard de Chardin, the French paleontologist. And these two thinkers, Thomas Berry and uh, Teilhard de Chardin, feel that we are approaching um, what Chardin calls the omega point. And um, I, this is just how I see things. I'm probably one of the more optimistic people alive on the planet right now, even in the middle of such dire times. So in a way, um, Carl Johan Kalamann is, is the next step because he added the idea that the Mayans actually had the timing of this breakthrough moment. And 2011 is a really big deal because 2011 is kind of like at the top of the spiral, which is what we're living through right now. And I always have a hard time understanding, looking back at ancient civilizations that use the 360-day calendar. And I know the Maya used a 365-day a, a calendar for agriculture and so on. But all of a sudden, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth changed it to 365 days. What was the real purpose? Obviously, the ancient ones had no problem with astronomy the way it was. So what you're, what you're looking for is a commentary on the 360-day the calendar? Yes. 365, yeah. Because exactly. Because the um, Mayan civilization, of course, was using a 365-day calendar just for ag- agricultural purposes. We right. know that. And then they also were, were dealing with a, a sacred calendar based on 360 days instead of 365. And that really caught my eye, because if you get into the Vedas, the sacred scriptures of Indian civilization, if you get into the um, ancient records from China, um, when you go back into ancient civilizations and ancient cultures, you will, and Egyptians also, you will find um, a 360-day calendar, which was considered to be a sacred calendar. And so this this is something that I've always been very curious about. Um, I am an astrologer, and we work with a 360-degree circle. Right. Um, and we work with 360 degrees, and we have a special um, meaning for each one of those degrees. Called, called These are basically the, 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 the nodes of the moon. And so... Um, as an astrologer, I was always especially caught up by seeing all these references to 360-day um, calendars. And I knew that it meant something very significant, but of course nobody really had any idea what it might be. Astrology probably had more knowledge than, than any other field. And then Kalamon comes along and um, discovered a, 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 a factor of time acceleration within the calendar itself. He discovered um, uh, some of the long dates in the calendar. We have dates in the Mayan calendar that actually go back trillions of years. But the really significant dates start 16.4 billion years ago. And so Kalamon being a scientist and being a biologist, this 16.4 billion years um, caught his eye because that's so close to the actual creation of the universe um, according to Big Bang Theory. Um, the scientists now are saying around 14 billion years, but this is just so close that we can pretty well assume that it's, that's what it is. So then the next thing that really caught Kalamon's attention is the second time acceleration um, is 820 million years long. This is called the um, mammalian underworld in his system. And the um, different divisions of the 820 million year cycle are actually the same as the uh, scientific table for the development of life forms um, since since around 800 million years ago. So Kalamon 
found that the calendar is actually tracking the different phases of evolution from the Big Bang and then um, coming into the development of complex life forms, the mammalian underworld. And then there's further divisions in this calendar that also fit the various stages of evolution. And then when we get up to more recent times, such as 100,000 years ago, we see um, a shift in these dates that seems to relate to the um, development of cultural innovation, like 100,000 years ago. We see the um, the conscious burial of um, human beings on the planet with red ochre. And so the calendar is a very, very complex um, device that explains these different stages of evolution, and most significantly for me, it shows that we have been in the middle of a, a process of time acceleration. In other words, time went faster during the, uh, the uh, Paleolithic, period, the 100,000-year cycle, consciousness and time was moving faster than it was from, say, 800 million years ago. And it's this time acceleration factor that's so fascinating because during 2011, um, for nine months, we are at the ninth wave of time acceleration. And the one previous to this one started in 1999. So what this calendar is suggesting, according to Kalaman, is that we're accelerating faster and faster, and the idea behind it would be that we're going much faster during 2011 than we have been since 1999. And so then the next thing that anybody with any intelligence is going to do, which is what I've been doing for five years now, is I've been analyzing everything that's going on in relationship to these time factors um, to see if this idea has any validity, first of all, and then secondly, is useful in, 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 in any way whatsoever. And so the latest time acceleration started March 9th, 2011, right when the, um, the, the big earthquake and tsunami hit Japan. And as we know, we've been in the middle of a tremendous speed up in events in the world with the quake and tsunami and, for example, with the breakout of revolution in the Middle East. And so, personally, I find this year to be extremely challenging because everything is just changing so quickly. Like, right now, everybody around me is changing so quickly. And I don't, I don't know whether you're noticing that this or not, Mel, but it's like every person I know is either getting married or getting divorced or getting a job or not getting a job or letting their apartment go or whatever. And um, I see tremendous evidence, really, that this, that, that, Kalaman is really on to something here. And then it yields very important results when you start to kind of see how it works. Yes, it seems to be a very, whether it's left or right, up or down, good or bad, very decisive year. And as you were talking about 1999, and this may not sound related, but I think of the time with the advent of the internet, for example. We get email, we get cell phones, and before, if you had to give a message to a co-worker, you had to stand up and go to to, to your coworker, and it would take time. Is it really time accelerating like a spiral, or is it the actions that we are having with the technology that allows us to do so much more now in one minute than it used to take hours years ago? Well, here's the kind of potentially kind of insidious thing about this. If we go back to 1999, um, the, this is the uh, beginning of the eighth underworld. There, there are nine of these accelerations. The one previous to that is um, 1755 through 2011, which is the industrial um, revolution, and then back to 3000 BC, which is the development of civilization. 
So what we're dealing with is we're dealing with this, we're in the middle of this 5,125-year phase of evolving civilization, which is right. still going on. Then in industrial consciousness starting in 1755, and then when the eighth underworld hit in 18, in, excuse me, in 1999, this is the development of technology. So Kalaman had already said that the eighth underworld would be the development of technology. And it certainly has accelerated every year um, since 1999, and it's culminating this year um, during 2011, um, where we're seeing some truly incredible innovations, like like you take something like the iPad, for example. Um, it, it really, when I see people playing with, with them and, and working with them, and I haven't gotten one yet because I'm afraid it'll take all my time and I won't yeah. do anything else, <laughs> yes. I'm really afraid of that, you know. But when you think of it, that people can have at their fingertips apps, um, and they can just push a button in order to get the explanation of how to go through any kind of process, like, like say, astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is on the same level as the point when when human beings first started to write. When you think about it, I mean, this type of thing is changing us from an evolutionary point of view to such an, a great extent that it's almost incomprehensible. And so, then to add into the the the, the equation that we're going 20 times faster during 2011 than we have been since 1999. It does give some kind of an explanation for, for what we're experiencing. Absolutely. And it's just so palpable if you compare just uh, 1989, 1999, 2011. What do we expect after, is it what Kalman calls the ninth underworld uh, yeah, the ninth underworld is is called the universal underworld, which of course implies some some sense of becoming part of the universe. And this is where where I get really excited because I'm such a student of, of Teilhard de Chardin back in the old days and Thomas Berry. And and by the way, contemporary um, teacher in this regard is Brian Swim, who has a um, film coming out in September called The Universe Story. And the idea here would be that from an evolutionary point of view we finally move into complete um, resonance and, and, and um, harmony with the universe itself. Now, this is the part of Kalaman's work that bridges right into my own work, Be- because as far as my own work is concerned, the most important um, work that I've written is called Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. And Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, um, which first came through back in 1995, and then I actually rewrote the, the book again in 2010 because the relevance of this book has just increased. But the basis of Alchemy of Nine Dimensions is that when we reach this apotheosis point, when we reach this point of universal consciousness, that we will actually be existing in nine dimensions of consciousness. And this is a really interesting idea because one of the most difficult parts of what we're living with right now is a sense of there being no space, a a sense of tall buildings and the sea being um, destroyed by, by human pollution or possibly planetary cycles or whatever. And so most of us on the planet right now are living with this dilemma of feeling like when we take our next step, where will we be, if you see what I mean? And this is right where Alchemy of Nine Dimensions comes in, because it is saying that we, when we reach this universal um, awareness level, 
from an evolutionary point of view, that we actually will be existing in many dimensions of consciousness. And it actually fits very well with string theory. When this information came through to me, I didn't understand string theory. But once I wrote the book myself, I can see how this uh, fits with um, superstring theory. So the idea would be that what's going to happen to us during this year is that our sense of our relationship with space is actually what is actually what's taking another step now. And just to put things in a, in a historical perspective, now the Spaniards burned up most of the Maya, the Nahuatl, and the Aztec literature. If that's the case, and aside from standing in front of one of of the pyramids in Mexico and, and Central America, where is the knowledge coming from? Is it coming from the descendants via oral tradition? Well, the descendants of the Maya, mostly in Guatemala and the highlands of the Yucatan, retained what's called the day calendar. They retained a really marvelous, beautiful divination system um, based on, on 20, 20 times 13 and, and different levels of just a basic divination system. But they lost the calendar that Kalaman, um decoded. Now, where Kalaman found it is on a stell, which is a, a carved um, stone, um, you know, like a standing stone. The, the Maya carved their, their dates and their glyphs and their symbols all over the temples. Like if you go into the doorway of the temples, you'll see, you'll see these carvings on the lintels above you, or you'll find them on, on the sides of the stairs. Some of the temples actually are completely carved in terms of the stairs. And then they also um, constructed stell, and then they completely covered the stell with different um, dating systems. And so the um, stell that that Kalaman decoded is is kind of the master stell because this is the one that goes back trillions of years, and this this is this is at a Mayan site called Koba, which is in the Yucatan. Yucatan, and this stell um, is is the one that names the cycle starting 16.4 billion years ago. It's actually very interesting because the fact that it goes back trillions of years is suggesting that something was going on before the, the Big Bang or whatever the beginning of creation was as we understand it. So this stell is very mathematical and it, all it took was, was somebody to decode the meaning of the stell. And that's what Kalaman did. And the amazing thing about the stell is that the different series of dates in it and the different cycles um, match the uh, phases of, of biological and then cultural evolution. And this stell was carved in 700 A.D. And so somebody back in 700 A.D. had all of the information about the various stages of evolution in history and anthropology. Somebody had it back in 700 A.D., and we didn't put that information together in Western um, scientific cultures. We didn't really pull all that stuff together until about 1950. So that's incredible. Go. Yeah, here I know. I mean, that's where I started. Once I got, uh, once I got it, you know what I mean, that that stell was there and that that's what it said, then that's when I, I literally entered in, into what I would call the great mystery. That's when I, that's when I adopted this man's um, theory, because I think it's of such critical importance. And then the switch is turned on, and you can't turn it off. So if the Maya invented what is possibly the most sophisticated mathematical computational system in the history of human culture... Yeah, I th yeah, I think most people would agree with that. But then as we come forward now into our current moment, 
um, now we have super string theory and now we have advanced computer calculations and all that. So we probably have gone beyond in, in terms of complexity what they had developed. But it is fair to say that they were as developed as Western culture was until at least the probably the mid-18th century, 1750s. But you say the system predates the Maya classic period by thousands, millions, and maybe even billions of years. How so? Well, what the Cobostel shows is it has these nine underworlds, and, and, and they're called underworlds because that's what the Maya call them. Right. But, but then you have to ask, well, why do they use that word? And for me, it's like this feeling of this gigantic structure that's evolving the universe. And Carl Kalamann says that's the world tree. And so I like that sense of the underworld because it's like the roots of the world tree that, that then express through the trunk and through the branches. And so what we do know is that first underworld, um, the um, cellular underworld, is 16.4 billion years ago through 2011. And then the second underworld is 820 million years. The third one is 40 million years long and 2 million years and then 100,000 and then 5,000 and then you know, 256 years. So we have, we have those numbers. But the question was, what on earth did those numbers mean? We know that each one of those underworlds is a division by 20 of the previous one. We know that one for sure. And then the really amazing, um, mysterious uh, level here has to do with the fact that all nine of them uh, conclude in 2011. In other words, that underworld that started 16.4 billion years ago is still going on until October 2011. And this is just an, literally an astonishing idea, um, which I've worked with a lot and I find is very, very rich in terms of human consciousness. But the amazing thing about it is after Carl Kalamann figured the whole thing out, then a glyph was discovered in um, a Mayan archaeological site called the Tortuguero Glyph. And a glyph was discovered that says that all nine underworlds culminate simultaneously. And this means, assuming this theory is accurate, that all nine underworlds, all these levels of evolution, all come together at the same point, October 28, 2011. And for the listeners, Tortuguero, which means uh, it's related to uh, Tortuga, turtle, what is the relationship between turtle and us? Um, well, in my tradition, now in my case, I'm, I'm uh, part Cherokee and mostly Celtic. I'm a right. mixture. And um, we were taught that, the, that, that you know, the turtle is, is the, the best expression that we have for the earth itself. And so we think of the turtle shell as actually a teaching tool for the way the um, planet functions, which has been a real rich part of my training. It has a lot to do with tectonics. It has a lot to do with plate theory. Really interesting stuff. And see, for me, once I discovered Kalamon, then a whole lot of the other parts of what I had worked with previous to that moment had much more meaning because things came together. And, of course, I just want to go back for a moment that, that we think of the Mayan calendar, but it was the Olmecs who were the ones who came up with it. So why do we refer to it as the Mayan calendar? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, this is because what we find with the Olmec culture, which is basically 1500 B.C. Um, to about maybe 1100 B.C., something like that, um, even, even later, but the main culture, um, we find parts and pieces of, of, we find symbols and glyphs and numerical um, uh, representations 
that fit the calendar. But the Maya, the classic Maya civilization, um, let's say 300 BC through about 1000 AD, 1100 AD, they are the ones who really developed um, the the full um, understanding of the, of the system itself. So the Maya really put the system together, and so that's why we we um, use Maya. So they perfected it, actually. Well, we don't. First of all, we don't know how much the Olmec knew, and and th you're getting into some really interesting questions here because. When I wrote the Mayan Code, of course, I was asking the same question that you'd be asking, which is, where did the Maya get it? Or, or let's say, where did the Olmec Maya get it? And when I got into that, um, and I, I got into that very deeply, I finally came to the conclusion that the Maya must have gotten it from the Vedic civilization. Now, the Vedic civilization is the really er early um, civilization of India. And, yes. the, and the reason I came to that conclusion was that um, I studied the, the Vedic records and some of the dates in the Vedic records, and I could see that they had to have had this knowledge. I, I wrote a little bit about this in the Mayan Code. So number one, I could see that they must have had the knowledge or they wouldn't have had some of the information that they had in the Vedas. But they lost the, the whole picture. The only ones who seemed to have retained the whole picture. And that includes the Cherokee. In, in my tribal tradition, we only have pieces of this. We don't have this whole system. Um, so somehow the, the Vedic civilization seems to have lost it themselves, and yet the Maya seem to have gotten it from them. So then I was really concerned, because having been brought up in indigenous training as a child, um, one of the things you'll find that native people all over the planet are extremely sensitive about, you'll find that they get really upset if somebody says that the knowledge came from somebody else and not from them. Yes, I'm sure yes. You've run across this. Of course. And so when I, of course, what I always do is I just publish what I think is the truth. And so um, I decided to go ahead and publish, publish that idea, um, even though I you know, couldn't necessarily prove it. And um, fortunately, my Mayan elder, Hunbatsman of the Yucatan, um, contacted me, and he said in his tradition, they called it Bezda instead of Veda. And he said that that was correct information. So I got a confirmation from, from an elder, um, which I think is pretty significant. So the earliest date that we have in the Vedas, the earliest clear date that we have in the Vedas, is about 95, 9600 B.C., 11,500 years ago. The time well, of the cataclysm. Exactly. So then there I'm sitting, um, it, putting all this together, and I also wrote a book called Catastrophobia, which came out in um, 2001. And the basic thesis of catastrophobia is that our planet went through a really huge cataclysm 11,500 years ago, and that when we went through that cataclysm, we lost a lot of the knowledge. And so, so it all started to fit together with, with this key point of the loss of the knowledge, and yet somehow the Maya managed to retain it, which is really, really a great mystery. And the question I always get from listeners is, who taught them astronomy and even astrology, their architecture, etc.? Yeah. Um, they were masters of astronomy and astrology. Um, and the first thing I always start with is imagine what it was like to um, live in a culture with no electricity and having a clear view of the night sky. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, we don't have the chance to, to uh, experience the heavens the, the way they do. 
And if you get into astrological lore, there's we've got all of this. You should see the stuff that we've got in terms of um, ancient mythology from world cultures um, regarding star. It's called star lore. And when you get into star lore, if you get into studying it, it's as complicated as studying all of the um, myths that have been recorded since the beginning of time. That's how complicated it is. All you can do is just kind of dip in it and get turned on, you know. But if you dip into it, you start to realize that when they looked up at the night sky, they saw a great story that was unfolding. You know, they could see in the sky, in a sense, some of the stuff that you and I were talking about today. Um, all these cycles of time and everything. So maybe the Maya um, managed to retain that because of their understanding of the night sky. It's certainly a possibility, um, judging by their pyramids and temples. You know, it's interesting to see how we're led to believe ancient civilizations, let's take the Maya and the Egyptians, for example, uh, were not in contact with each other. However, the long count calendar begins in, uh, what is it, 3113 B.C., which happens to be the moment when complex city civilizations suddenly arose in Sumer, Egypt, and China. How about all these suddenlies? All of a sudden, things happen at the same time. Yeah, all the suddenlies, as Graham Hancock calls yes. it. Um, yeah, um, this is a yeah, very good point on your part, because um, the people who are working with an end date of December um, 21st, 2012, are working with the sixth underworld of Kalaman system. Um, the, the sixth, six, it's hard, hard word to say, the sixth underworld is the 5,125-year cycle. And then there's a, a minor disagreement there by one year because of, of, of some of the inscriptions that Kalaman found at Palenque. Um, when you start to work with Kalaman's system, knowing the right end date is critical. Because, like, for example, we seem to be experiencing a huge acceleration right now during 2011, which is what Kalaman is saying. And this would indicate that there's something... Um, different going on regarding the whole issue of 2012, which I also think about a lot. Because after all, if Kalaman is right, then that's the first year after we complete the calendar, which in itself has major significance. And I'm also trying to understand the, the simultaneous rise of all these civilizations. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I knew I dropped that one. So this, the sixth underworld, which starts in our system in 3,115 B.C. instead of, it's just a year difference. Um, the sixth underworld is the time acceleration of civilization. So the way this idea works would be that the fifth underworld is 102,000 years long. So it goes back to 100,000 B.C., and if we go back to 100,000 B.C., um, what we find um, over many, many parts of the planet is we suddenly find a major cultural shift. Um, we find evidence for burials with red ochre, and we find evidence in very, very um, old Paleolithic caves for um, bear, bear uh, cult rituals. And we find a significant shift in human consciousness at that point. And so then we have like 100,000 years of, of going through Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon and the various things that happened during the Paleolithic period. And then suddenly, 5,000 years ago, civilization starts simultaneously around the planet. And I think that Kalaman's idea about these time acceleration phases um, is probably the best explanation you're going to find for how that could have happened. In other words, suddenly a new idea came in. For example, think of 1999, and suddenly 
we became technological. Yeah. And when it hit, there was no way out of it. Like, if you go back to the Y2K um, issue, um, a so-called crisis, which, by the way, I think was dummied up by the uh, computer people in or, in, to make money. Yes. Um, yeah, right, because that was a very foolish thing. But still, what happened by the end of 1999 everybody realized that whether they liked it or not, they had to go computer. They had to do email, and they had to get into it, if you see what I mean. Now, why why do you have this huge shift all of a sudden? Well, this time acceleration theory explains a lot about key um, shifts that we've experienced um, in our universe um, since the beginning of time. And it's almost as if there were, of course, we had the industrial age, we had the the information age now, but it's almost as if there was an evolutionary signal that hit us, and that's when things started to to develop or evolve faster than usual. And shift, you know, I like the word shift, because, for example, yeah, for example, it's not, it it is an evolutionary trigger, but but then, of course, you get into, well, how does that work? And that's one of the reasons I like Kalaman's research, because he's got a bunch of systems that have to do with the planet itself and with our brains. And so if you want to look at the industrial underworld is the seventh underworld, and it started in 1755. And in 1755, there was a catastrophic earthquake in Lisbon, Lisbon and tsunami. And the wave came into to Lisbon, Portugal, and swept away a couple of hundred thousand people in an instant. And then, mysteriously, at the very beginning of the Ninth Underworld, March 9th, we had the quake and tsunami in Japan. And so Carl and I think that those two signals are giving us the indication that the planet itself, from a tectonic point of view, is responding to these evolutionary shifts. And this is an important idea to to absorb, because I think if you get into how you've been feeling this last year and how you've been feeling since 1999, I think you'd have to say that you can feel that there's really something big going on. Um, It's almost so awesome and so complex and so intense that a lot of us are just surrendering at this point. you know, like my job as a Mayan calendar researcher is to watch what I what I what I do, Mel, is is the the issue would be how do you integrate all that stuff, right? Yes. Well, each one of these nine underworlds has has thirteen divisions in it. It's called the days and nights of the underworlds, and so within an underworld, there's another whole calendar cycle going on, where at the beginning, day one, a um, theme is introduced. And then that theme develops and matures all the way through that underworld. So we were watching really closely on March 9th, 2011, to see what the theme would be. And, of course, one of the themes, it does seem to be the issue of the use of um, nuclear energy for power. And this was a big one for me because when um, our, our, our people on our planet decided to develop um, nuclear technology. Um, I've been leery of it from the beginning, and I basically felt, always felt like it was a wrong turn. Um, I was born right when they split the atom um, in the the football stadium in Chicago. Hmm. Um, And I've always had this deep feeling that this was just a wrong turn. And if I think that the fact that the um, nuclear crisis started 
on the beginning of the uh, Ninth Underworld, day one of the Ninth Underworld, March 9th. Um, What I would expect, based on calendar analysis, is we'll have an evolving experience with this, and then by the end of the calendar, people will make the decision to stop it. The way I see it with uh, nuclear technology, the children have found the matches, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you watch what's going on, of course, the news is extremely screened. But but um, Fukushima, the plants there are in the middle of various stages of very very critical um, meltdown. Yes, and it's not going to be possible to hide this, and it's going to affect the ocean. And I think as we go through the universal underworld, I think the awareness is going to be dawning on people. And and this is a re- really important issue because if we go back to Teilhard de Chardin and back to Thomas Berry and then Kalaman and Brian Swim. Um, what we're in Barbara Clow in this case too. What we're all saying is that we are evolving into realizing that we are the keepers of the earth. Now, this is a very, also a very much um, an indigenous idea, but the idea would be that our species has developed to the extent that it has, not to gobble up and destroy and eat up the planet, but in order to become stewards and keepers of our planet. And so the decision to stop using power irresponsibly would certainly be part of, part of um, uh, taking that next step for our species. As I always say with the planet, it's almost like a dog with fleas. If the dog doesn't like the fleas, it just shakes it and moves on. Do you think the planet may have to do a or push the proverbial reset button uh, and reset itself in order for it to continue? Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to kill it? Well, this is another really interesting question, because if we just, one of the things I'm doing is I'm hanging with Kalamon's theory very hard, even though from many points of view, this has got to be the most outrageous idea that any human being has come up with so far, what, what he's saying about the calendar. And so if we hang with what he's saying, then at the point of the um, simultaneous completion of nine levels um, in October 28, 2011, then supposedly we shift into a completely different phase, which I don't think um, anybody has the capacity to understand at this point yet. I think we have some ideas about it. But behind that idea would be the idea that evolution will not function any more the way it has up until that moment in time. Now, if you examine evolutionary theory, what you will find is every time any kind of step forward was attained, there was a major extinction. Like if you go back 63 million years ago, we have the extinction of the dinosaurs, which then made it possible for for the mammals to evolve. And so the idea here would be that an extinction at this point may not be the point. Um, And it it certainly looks like it's the point. I mean, if we look at the oceans and we look at what's happening on the planet, um, there's every reason to to put forth the idea that we're in the middle, that, you know, we're in the middle. Thomas Berry says we're right in the middle of an extinction at this moment that's as great as the Cambrian era or the extinction of the dinosaurs. But if we look at what Kalaman is saying, um, it, it would appear that something else is going on here. And, and that's where I get into my own work and get into nine dimensions of consciousness because I can't come up with any other idea about it except to start looking at it in terms of multidimensionality. And, and yes, we have done more damage to the planet in the last, what, 100 years than in the last 1 million years. So this is completely unsustainable, don't you think? 
Oh, it's totally unsustainable, absolutely. But if we go back through the different stages of evolution, and these extinctions are sometimes caused by cosmic um, issues like asteroids or supernovas, and then sometimes these extinctions are caused by um, events within the system of Earth itself. Um, like like continental drift or or the um, explosion of oxygen um, at at the end of the Cambrian era, and so so it 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 would appear that something. My point is something different is going on, and um it, it and it's a very very big deal because we have to start asking ourselves at this point: Is there anything significant about our existence whatsoever? You know, when we look at what we've created at this point, we have to turn to that. And just a, a little Mayan, Mayan Code 101, a couple of things. Can you please define the word underworld for those who may not know what that means? Yeah, as I, as I said earlier, that's a Mayan term. And um, we don't really know exactly what they meant by that. But I think that the best uh, idea there would be to think of the world tree. Kalaman is working with the idea that the driver of the evolutionary cycles is the world tree, which is a complex um, consciousness organization um, that, that's actually creating evolution in the universe. And so when I think of underworlds, I go right into the roots of the tree. And then the roots are driving the tree. And then the tree itself is creation. And back to basics on the Mayan calendar. Let's analyze the calendar for a moment. The long count consists of 5,125, and it's divided into 13 baktuns of 394 years each. And each baktun is divided into 20 cycles called katuns, and the katuns are 360-day tunes. Please tell us more. Okay, well, what you're explicating there very well is Jose Arguez's Mayan factor. Yes, rest in peace, right? Right. And so the way to put the Mayan factor, and I was Jose Arguez's publisher, too. Another thing that was very rich for me in my life was I wasn't just a researcher. I was also publishing these people. That's great. It was, you know, I got paid paid to learn, which is always my favorite. (laughs) You do, too. Sure. (laughs) And so where where the uh, Mayan factor fits into it and the system that you just explicated is that is the six underworld of the nine underworlds of Kalaman system. So so that represents the time acceleration of the historical period. And Arguez was very advanced in his thinking at the time because Arguez was the first one who broke down the Bactunes and, and the Tunes into historical cycles, and K-Tunes especially. The K-Tunes are very significant because they're um, about nine, 19.6 years long, almost 20 years long. And in um, indigenous civilization, that's just about a generation. And so the K-Tunes were a big divination device for the indigenous Maya. Now, what am I talking about in divination device, right? Well, the Maya were doing with the K-tunes and the Bactunes and the tunes. They were using that system in order to divine um, what was going to be happening in their, their near future. They also went pretty far into the future. And um, they were doing the same thing that Kalaman and I are doing. Um, it's just the Kalaman system, as far as I can tell, is just slightly more accurate and as I said to you earlier, if it's true that the ninth underworld is less than a year long, then knowing exactly when that occurs is of critical importance. And so in my case, I started with Kalaman's analysis. Well, well, it's, it's, it's two things, Mel. One is that we found glyphs at Palenque that indicate that the Maya tweaked their own system around 1000 A.D., 
so people who are working with the Arguez system and people who are working with December 21st, 2012, they may be working with the system that the Maya used until about 800, not 1,000, but 800 A.D. And then it would appear that the shamans at Palenque tweaked it slightly. Now, this is fascinating to me because if you've ever worked with divination, which is what I do all the time, that's what I do on my website. It's just a great big divination site. And and it's like, um, think of Terrence McKenna's time wave. And you're familiar with that, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, okay. sure. So if you, if you analyze Terrence McKenna's time wave really carefully, by the way, the original time wave, it looks like it ends in 2011 instead of 2012. Right. And then, and then when McKenna um, got in touch with the Mayan calendar, they were so close together that he decided, well, gee, it must be December 21st, 2012, you know, because, because of the, um, the six underworld. So, so if we go back to Planque, like um, 1,200 years ago or whatever, the shamans seem to have noticed that things just weren't exactly right. And so they went back in and examined their own records again from the Popol Vuh, which is the Mayan, um, basically it's the Bible of, of, of ancient Maya civilization. And they tweaked it a little bit, and that's, that's what Kalaman's working with. And so if, if you can follow with the way my, my process worked with this, um, first, I decided the Kalamon was really onto something. Then, on my own website, I have a website called handcloud2012.com. Um, so there I was back then working with 2012 also. And so on my website, what I do is I work as an astrologer, and I work with the Mayan calendar, and I make the assumption that if this Mayan calendar is true and is is reflective of something real then it should be in harmony with astrology. Because the way astrologers work is we believe that humans and cultures change according to patterns in the sky, you know, the different aspects between the planet. So I've been in the middle of a deep examination of whether the astrology was in synchronicity with the calendar itself. And so then when Kalaman came along, and I feel at this point we have a better dating, at that point I could really sharpen the, the issue of whether these things fit together. Then the final Philippe for me was March 9th, 2011. When the quake and the tsunami happened, I knew that Kalaman had the right date because of what had happened with the Seventh Underworld with um, the quake and tsunami in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, these are such dramatic events um, that if they coincide exactly with some of these calendar dates, we know something's going on. If calendar researchers mostly say that the calendar ends in the, on December 21st, 2012, and then uh, Dr. Kalman says October 28th, 2011. Mm -hmm. What did he find that made him arrive to that different date? Well, um, he, of course, be once he discovered this whole time acceleration factor, and then once he realized that the whole thing was winding up like a spiral, L like, in other words, as much was going to be going on from 1755 to 2011 as had been going on from 16.4 billion years ago to 2011. If you see, once he understood the t this tightening spiral, that would finally culminate in the ninth underworld, then he himself became extremely anxious about whether we had exactly the right dates. And that's when he did some research on some inscriptions at Palenque and decided that the Maya had tweaked it. 
Now, this for for Carl. This is back in um, uh, I think 1989 is where he is working on that level, as far as I know. Um, none of this was published by Carl in, in English until 2001. Um, so then the next question would be: Once you adopt these dates and all that, then you have the advantage of observing events to, to see whether they're accurate or not. And this is what we've been doing, if you know what I mean. Of course. Yeah. And you mentioned two great people, two great thinkers, uh, new paradigm researchers who are no longer with us, mm-hmm. Terence McKenna and Jose Arguelles. Mm-hmm. And even you say that the West has lost its soul during the last 400 years. What do you mean by that? Well, um, this you probably picked this up in one of my books. I can't remember which one. Sure. But from an indigenous perspective, which in my case is Cherokee, but also Celtic. I have a really strong Celtic indigenous sense because my um, uh, Cherokee grandfather married a, a woman who was from the Hebrides and, and, and also her family was from Wales. And so her tradition was just as strong as his tradition in terms of divination and magical consciousness and all of that. And so for both traditions, Celtic tradition and then for the um, indigenous traditions of the West, um, the destruction that was wrought um, by the Western cultures that came to to, uh, the Americas um, is is the death of the soul. Um, It's, you know, the destruction of the native um, consciousness and native ways. Absolutely. And I can always think of that. Uh, when we think of the discovery of America, I find that to be such a hypocritical yeah. term. Discover from what? Aren't we giving credit to, in, to the indigenous people who were here, their ways and their, their magnificent uh, cultures that they had before? They were in touch with nature. That's something that we, we, we cannot even accomplish right now. Right. And then it's ridiculous, as you know, because first of all, Scandinavians discovered America in 1000 AD. And right. there's all, you know, there's all kinds of evidence of many, many um, discoveries of Western hemispheres. But if we look at it from the point of view of, of the calendar, um, and in this case, day seven of the um, sixth underworld, the sixth underworld is called the national underworld. And that's a term that Kalaman uses in order to, to clue us into that whole issue of like, priest-king cultures, development of civilization. And so when we get to the seventh day, which is basically 1617 A.D., this is when we see the global spread of this nationalistic-type consciousness with the um, conquistadores coming from Spain and the explorers from Portugal and from England. And, and, and this is when we have this explosion of this takeover of this priest-king culture and um, as much as I'm obviously neg- negative about it in terms of the death of the soul, on the other hand, it would appear, if we look at it from an evolutionary perspective, that this was just part of the growth, all of our growth on this planet as a whole. And this is not a topic that we discuss during this show that you and I are doing together, but when some people say, you know, if an extraterrestrial civilization comes to Earth, All we need to do is find a more advanced civilization that came to visit us in the past, and we know what happens to the less advanced, emerged into the new one or disappears. Well, yeah, that seems to have been a pattern. Um, But 
you know, to see if you get into my own work, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, um, the extraterrestrial issue is actually not that much of a physical issue. Um, it's more of a consciousness issue. In other words, there's, there certainly is extraterrestrial intelligence in the universe that is connected with us. And one of the um, theories in the Mayan Code, it, I, I, of course, had to ask, well, what will happen in 2012? What will happen in 2011? And the idea behind the universal underworld is very interesting in terms of a field of study on the planet called exopolitics, which sure. I'm sure you're familiar with, Al- Alfred Weber, um, the main teacher on this one. And um, the idea of exopolitics is that our planet um, has been in a quarantine because we're such a violent, abusive species. And this idea has always appealed to me because it just feels right. And so then when I got into my research on catastrophobia, um, I finally came to the conclusion 15 years ago now that we became a violent and abusive species about 11,000 years ago because of a series of cataclysms that we experienced. And so factoring the calendar into it, the idea would be that during the universal underworld, the uh, quarantine gets lifted. And and from my perspective, if the quarantine gets lifted, it's not about where the spaceships are going to land for for me. I mean, I realize that could be true. Um, But I see so much evidence um, that our solar system has been inhabited from many different points of view, for instance, Mars and the moon and all these issues coming up with Hoagland. And I really think there's many other planets and many other solar systems and all of that. And the idea would be that the quarantine would have more to do with our consciousness than it would have to do with um, politics in the universe. It, it might mean spaceships, and it might mean conferences, and it might mean meeting people. But with the kind of work that I do, I think it's more about consciousness. Like, for example, um, in my system, the Pleiades is a very big part of it, the Sirius star system, the Orion um, star system. And so from my perspective, I'm, I'm in touch with the Pleiades, and I'm in touch with Sirius, and I'm in touch with the Orion star system and other parts in the universe, and I get a lot of knowledge by being in touch that way. And and my husband Jerry and I, that's the part of the work that we teach together, because my husband Jerry is a cranial sacral therapist and a body worker. And when we work together, he does body and I do mind, because we're teaching people how to remove the quarantine and how to be in touch. And it doesn't have anything to do, you know, with like being afraid of extraterrestrials invading the earth or attacking people or anything like that. I just don't look at things that way at all. Now, for anybody who looks at our own galaxy, where there are billions of stars and billions and maybe even trillions of planets surrounding, uh, going around those those stars or suns, for anybody to say that we are alone in the universe, to me, it's the height of arrogance. But on segment two, I want to discuss a lot of this that you're mentioning. But before we take a break, tell us once again how to get in touch with your work, by your books. Well, my web- website is handcloud2012.com. And then once you're on that, the freest, what I do is I do free astrological analysis in relationship to the mind calendar, and that's just posted on it. And then all the information about workshops and books and all that's on there, too. It's just a pretty typical website. And I want to say that your name has been brought to my attention for a long time, so I'm so glad that we have you here. On segment two, we have so much more to discuss with Barbara Hanclau. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. 
Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy.
This is Paul Laviolette, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Mm-hmm. 